All right, we're in Acts chapter 15, in case you'll tell you, starting in verse 22, we're going to read through the end of the chapter. Test. Okay. Um, Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them to send to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brothers, with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers, who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Sicilia, Sicilia. greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we have then no instructions, gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for, this, for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same thing by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers in many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, brother. Okay. Let me say a prayer. Lord, thank you for your word. You are a God who speaks. You are the word. And you have spoken preeminently through your son, Jesus Christ. Um, He shows us exactly what you are like because he is fully God. The the exact um, image of you, Father. Uh, We see your loving heart with his arms outstretched on the tree. We, We come in his name. We pray that you would come in power, minister to our hearts and exalt Jesus Christ. Come Holy Spirit. Amen. So yesterday was our anniversary, 14-year anniversary of marriage. Thank you. That's very kind. It was also 
on the polar opposite end of the spectrum, it was also the um, anniversary of the death of a friend of mine who was a Navy SEAL. He died three years ago, not in combat, ironically, and sadly, he, he made it through all sorts of combat and had begun to train up other SEALs and instruct, and he was, the story is, you never know with the SEALs, right, but the story is that he was recreationally jumping out of a hot air balloon with a pack on that didn't open. So his name was Seth Stone, and that's one of the reasons we named Seth what we did, because he was a great guy. He loved the Lord, so he's with the Lord now. But he was telling us, when we were having dinner with him once, he was telling us, Seth was telling us a story about a, a platoon, I don't know what the word is, he was leading, and of guys he was in charge of, and they were in Iraq or Afghanistan I believe, and they ended up being clustered on a rooftop, and there was all sorts of enemy fire around, and he had never lost a guy, and there was a grenade that got thrown up on this tiny flat rooftop, and they were all, they all kind of looked at it, and time sort of froze, Matrix style, and they were, they were going to lose, I don't know about all the guys, but they were going to lose more than one if that thing, if something didn't happen, so, so one of the guys uh, that didn't have any children and it was not married, jumped on the grenade and absorbed, uh, I don't even know the guy, it's hard to talk about, absorbed the, bl- the, the blast and saved everybody. Um, and, you know, that's, it's not exactly what we read here, but it is when we've chopped up the passage. Last week we were in uh, the, the first part of Acts 15, and it's what, what's happening here is this is a council of apostles and elders and the whole church in Jerusalem coming together and saying, what is God doing here? And do Gentiles who are not Jews that are starting to come to the faith, do they need to, um, do they need to become Jews essentially and keep the Mosaic Code and be circumcised, etc.? And the decision that they make that Casey read out here, it's a letter that's sent after they deliberate and listen to the Lord and, and reason and weigh the scriptures together as a whole church, and I'll, and I'll, and I'll make a point of that in a second, they, they, they come to the firm conclusion in, in concert with the Lord that, no, uh, we are saved, Jews are saved just like Gentiles, not by obeying any code, but because Jesus took the blast for us. He jumped on the grenade and took what we deserve and saved all of us, Jew or Gentile. And not only that, but gave us his status as son and set us free. And so he blew the doors open to anyone at all being saved through faith in him. And... That's what this letter from the Jerusalem Council is about. It goes out to Syria and modern-day Turkey, the three different places. To all, it's a circular letter. I'll talk about that. To the churches, and it just says the gospel means that we're saved by, by grace, which is, I'll talk about this in a second too, the favor of God, not because of what we've done, but because of what someone else has done for us. Because someone else jumped on the grenade and saved us through no good of our own. Um, so I want to talk about, but, but then, because I talked to the kids about what I did, because there, that doesn't mean we can live however we want to, right? It means that we get to live as children, in freedom, not in license. So I'll talk about that too. But um, just tonight, I'm going to touch on three things, the letter, the directives, and the disagreement. The letter is really sort of the, the trunk of, of the passage. It's, like I said, Jerusalem uh, Council coming together and saying, what is the gospel for Jew and Gentile? Uh, how are we saved? Is it by obeying the law? And they, they resoundingly say no. So a little bit about the letter. And I really feel like this first point's for the American church. I'm going to move to the second point, which I really feel like is for the American culture. But this really, I think, is for the church, uh, at least in part. 
um, the address here of the letter, the way that they address it to the Gentiles shows that it's a circular letter. So it was written not just to a church, but like I said, to circulate. Um, Craig Keener is a phenomenally, he was, he's really an exceptional, and, and an exceptional and outstanding scholar of prodigious output. He writes that the average uh, papyrus letter was 87 words. This one was just over 100. We can count the Greek words. It, uh, so it was a papyrus circular letter to be sent round and read to the churches in Turkey and Syria. Most would have been illiterate in those churches, so it would have been uh, read out loud. Um, and if you'll notice, it's not one person that makes the decision as to, okay, what, what exactly is the gospel? It's not one person that does that. Um, the whole church does it, you'll notice in this text. The apostles lead the discussion and the elders are also involved. And Paul appoints elders in all the churches that he plants. He goes around and he appoints elders and goes and checks on them. Um, and so that is, that is standard. And so what we see here is um, this decision is arrived at by the whole church and through leadership that God has established. And he established it in the Old Testament church through the Jews and then now through uh, Jew and Gentile as well. But with elders, with deacons, two of whom we're going to appoint, we're going to ordain tonight or appoint tonight. These are, these are people that God has given us in, in, um, and, and roles that God has given us for order, for, for deliberation, for judicious decision, for listening to the Lord, for understanding what he's saying together. The church, what the church does is the church comes and meets with God and ministers to one another and to the world as a body, as a people. And we've never maybe been in our lives more disjointed as a church than we are now. Almost every single one of our members is not here tonight. And that's a problem. That is a real problem. Uh, we are not, suicides are up 20% in the American military. Suicides are up nationwide. Uh, we are not, not only is the, okay, just as people, we are not created to be alone. Solitary confinement is one of the worst punishments you can be given because we're made in the image of God. He is a trinity. He is a community. And when we're separated from other people, it's really bad for us. More so with the church. The church is his body. If you're separating yourself from the church, it's like you're you're an arm or a finger just sitting there. You can't function like you're supposed to. You need to be part of a body. And when the finger and the arm is missing, the body hurts too. So we see that a lot of good stuff comes through the deliberation of the church as a church, with the elders, with the apostles. Um, let's press into that just a, a little bit here in this letter. Verse 28 said, they say, it seemed, they say that they write this to the Gentiles, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. It's an interesting phrase. They don't say, what they don't say is, thus saith the Lord. They distinguish between what they have discerned and reasoned about and weighed through considering the scriptures and also through considering what? What's been happening in the past chapters? Who's been coming to the Lord? All sorts of people, Gentiles. And so they, they're, they're, they're allowing their experience of what the Lord's been doing to actually reshape what they thought the scriptures said, their theology. The scriptures are always true, but our understanding of the scriptures, which is called our theology, is never 100% right. So we always, in community, have to be allowing the scriptures to reshape through the work of the Holy Spirit in community our theology to align it as best we can with the actual word of God. And that's what happens here. But they have the humility to not conflate their voice with God's voice. However, that said, they do seem to, they, they seem to say, we agree with the Lord. And there seems to be some sense that the Lord is therefore speaking through our collective voice. F.F. Bruce, a great New Testament scholar, says these words, quote, stress the church's role as the vehicle of the Holy Spirit. There's no solo Christianity. 
There's a lot of that being tried right now, more than maybe ever in our nation's history. It's not biblical. It's not biblical. And so the church is really suffering as a result. So I'm, I'm really glad that we are coming. We have the privilege and the blessing of coming together because that's what we're made for right now. That is what we're made for. Um, and if you'll notice, a lot of times people will separate, like, I heard from the Lord, let the Spirit say what the Spirit wants to say from careful reasoning and deliberation, but there's no dichotomy of that here. There's careful reasoning, there's discernment and wisdom playing a big part in a weighing of the biblical and experiential, or as the Puritans would say, experimental evidence. What's, what has God been doing? He saved the Gentiles just like he saved us. This must be how he works. Oh, guess what? It's actually in the prophets. He's been saying it all along. We just didn't see it. Our theology was wrong. Christ has opened up the truth of God's word to us. And we're now seeing the scriptures in light of of what we're experiencing God do. That is all a part and parcel of them saying, this is what the Holy Spirit's saying. Do you you hear how non-like overly spiritualized that is? Do you hear how balanced and reasonable that is? God, God wants to worship. God wants us to worship him in truth and with our minds as well as all of the rest of who we are. Okay. Um, interestingly, the, uh, the care with which this letter is crafted and sent to the Gentile churches is clear, and it indicates the theological truth agreed upon and conveyed. We are all one family in Christ, Gentile, Jew, barbarian, sophisticate, man, woman, adult, child, doesn't matter what your race, doesn't matter what your color, okay? We are all one, and Paul goes on to say this specifically in his letters, doesn't he? Um, there are no hierarchies, there are no divisions, though there are roles, though there are roles, just like a family, right? The family, everyone's of equal worth, but there are different roles as a father, as a mother, there are children, and there's subservience and submission and mutual respect. Um, one indication, I'm, I'm, I've just asserted that there's a care, a lot of care put into the letter. Let me give you one, one indication of that, that care. There's something called, this is again keener, my Greek isn't good enough to have discerned this. There's something called a periodic sentence in verses 24 through 26. And Keener calls this the most intricately designed rhetoric in the entire book of Acts, these three verses. And this is three verses in a hundred-word letter to the Gentile church saying, here's what the gospel is, here's therefore what we think you should do. Don't be circumcised, you don't have to follow the law of Moses, become a Jew, but we do think you need to do these few things and not be burdened by the law and live in freedom. That's what they say, right? But they write it very carefully and it conveys their care. You are of equal status with us. You know, um, okay, that's the letter. Moving on to point two, briefly, the directives. Again, like I said, I think the letter is really for the church right now. But the the directives, I think, are really in large part for the American culture. Um, What what we see here, if we take the whole chapter of Acts 15, is we see um, freedom. We see that freedom, it's for freedom of Christ set us free. It's by grace, verse 11 of chapter 15, that we're saved through faith, not through adherence to, to the law. We're saved by the obedience of Christ and by his sacrificial death for us on the cross. And that's proven that God accepted that payment, not for Christ, but for us through Christ's resurrection, right? So that's what they state. We're not saved by works. We're saved by grace, which is the work of another Jesus. Circumcision is not required. You don't need the Mosaic Code. You don't need to become a Jew. Paul says this in Ephesians 2 very clearly. Um, But so what is grace? That's a very churchy word. It literally means favor. We're saved by grace. We're saved... Uh, by favor, okay? Whose favor? Whose favor saves us? Of course, God's, right? The answer is always Jesus. In this case, yes. 
God's favor saves us. How does God's favor save us? Who is he? He's giving us the favor, but who curries his favor? Jesus. Again, the answer is always Jesus. In this case, that's dead right. Jesus, not, not you. That should relieve you. We, you don't curry through your performance. There's no currying God's favor. Jesus has won it through his perfect life for you and through his sacrificial death in your place. Jesus has won it. And the favor of God that was won by Christ as a man is given to you by faith, and that's received, right? So that is just, yes, that is glorious good, good news. It's received by faith. The opposite of this is someone that um, I've been hearing from and about a lot lately. She's in great turmoil, and she keeps saying she's an absolute mess. She's embroiled in sin, and she keeps saying, I just need to get my life together. And the implication there is that I can. But the more she tries to, the more she can't. And that's the exact opposite of, of grace. Is the fact is that we can't get our lives together, so Jesus came and lived life in our place and died the death that we deserve. That is grace. And we can't earn God's favor, but Jesus has it and earned it in our place through obedience and then took our punishment. And so that's favor. Um, we don't have to get our lives together. Don't take a shower. Don't clean yourself up to get in the shower. Just get in the shower. Just come to Jesus as you are. His arms are open wide. Isaiah 55, come and eat. It's all free. I purchased it at the highest price, okay? Um, So one of the things this means in this context is that those from other cultures, as they start coming to the Lord, and we want to see Muslims saved. We want to see um, uh, Indians from the south, from from the subcontinent saved. The Gandhi district is just south. We want to see all the nationalities and people groups represented north and south of Westheimer, in this geography, we want to see them saved. Their worship and their churches and their church plants and their church fellowships and their home churches and their parishes are not going to look in style exactly like ours, and they shouldn't. We shouldn't require that. That's, the style isn't what saves us. The substance, the subject and the verb of our salvation is Jesus and faith in him and his life and his death. Um, but the style isn't what saves us, and that, and that should look different, and, and we should... We should celebrate freedom in that for, for those churches to look different and to worship God differently, revolving around Jesus Christ, looking at Jesus Christ and depending on him for their salvation through faith. Um, but it's also freedom. You see here, they give a few delineations, right? It's freedom. They, they say, don't, we recommend that you, we command that you just don't uh, eat blood, animals with blood in them that were strangled or sacrificed to idols. What's happening there? Basically, they're saying freedom but not freedom to be a stumbling block to other people. Like don't, and Paul goes on in Corinthians to talk about this more too. Don't use your freedom to cause others to stumble. Um, And so all these things would cause Jews, many of whom are worshiping Christ and many of whom need to come to Christ, and they're mixed into this Hellenistic Greek culture, it would cause them to stumble. Even though the Christians, Paul says later, would be free to do this stuff because the demons aren't gods at all, okay? Um, And so for the sake of others... Don't use your freedom in that case, but, but, but you're free to love them. And so you're free to not do those things, right? And so that's really what this is about. It would kind of be equivalent a little bit to us. And this isn't, this isn't a hypothetical, like a, a fair amount of us, we minister to Muslims to, to love them and to lead them to Jesus Christ and to show them Jesus. And in Jews as well, we have a regular meeting with rabbis and, and imams. And right over there, we've had a few at that that reformed synagogue there, and Rabbi Gross is a dear friend, and we might be worshiping over there at some point. Who knows? Wouldn't that be cool? But um, we, wouldn't, we would never eat bacon. I love bacon. And we joke about it, too, when we have breakfast with them. We're like, you know, I don't know. We make bacon jokes. <laughs> but we wouldn't, we wouldn't 
do that to them. We wouldn't eat bacon, even though I'm free to eat bacon or sausage or a ham sandwich. I'm not going to do that in front of them, even though I'm free to, because we, we don't want to use our freedom to cause others to stumble. So that's what's being talked about here. But also, um, we don't want to use, uh, we, we are given, we are saved by the work of Christ for liberty or freedom, not license. Like I was saying with the kids, right? We're not, we're not saved to be able to do whatever we want to. We're saved, we're brought into the family, not through our own performance, but then to trust the Father and know that he loves us and live lives where we want to obey him. We don't have to, it's been done for us, but we, we get to. But our salvation isn't contingent on that, do you see? And so um, that's what no sexual immorality is talking about. We don't just toss out the moral law, but we don't have to keep it to be saved. We've already been saved through the work, the life, and the death of another, Jesus Christ. And so... Um, Romans 6, Paul deals with this. He's like, we're not saved just to live however the heck we want to. That's not freedom. That's running out in the street squish. That's eating all the candy in the candy shop. Ralph. Sorry, Ralph. Um, And that's all throughout the scripture and it's all throughout daily life. So in the garden, it starts in the garden where God says he gives total freedom to Adam and Eve. Sin has not yet entered the world. He makes them perfect and they're able not to sin. Right? And he, but what does he do? He doesn't say, have at it, eat all the candy, you can eat of any tree. He does say you can eat freely of any tree, but there's one tree, don't eat of it. Um, because freedom is, why does he do that? Is he teasing him? Because freedom is obedience to God. Freedom is being connected to him by having his word and listening to him and trusting him. Because trust is relationship. And so that, that command enables trust and it actually creates freedom. Just like in, I've been driving in India. I, I haven't driven. If I had driven in India, I wouldn't be here right now. You'd have a different pastor. Um, the people that drive in India are talented. It, um, but we, I, I've been carted around in India. And let me tell you, it is frightening. It's like spaghetti with cars and other things. We saw a guy on bareback uh, r- riding his horse up against traffic, uh, car traffic. It was, that was just a common sight. Um, but it's nuts. There's, it's not freedom, though. There are no lines. There are no delineations. There are no limits. Do what you want to. That's not, that's not freedom. It's chaos. Um, tennis with no lines is dumb. Any sport. Just think of any sport. With, I'm not just talking lines on the field. I'm talking no rules. It's, it's not a sport. It's, 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 it's pointless. It's absolutely pointless. It's, it's, uh, it's dangerous and deadly. And not, not the sport, but like uh, driving in India, dangerous and deadly. Chess, a chess match, mathematics, music, almost pick anything that's real. No lines, no boundaries, no rules. It just ceases to be. It's not freedom. Um, no lines in uh, gender or sex. Uh, our culture presents that as freedom. It, it's not. It's chaotic. It's dangerous. It's deadly. It's not fruitful. It's not beautiful. Boundaries are for our good. Um, you know, Free, you know, letting my kid do whatever he wants, watching him drink rat poison. I, I got a hold of a bottle at our ranch that we used to have in the hill country, and I was about to, t- I was just in the, I think I was just in the middle of a bunch of poison I'd poured out, and my mom didn't sit there and go, do what you like, I love you, total freedom. No, she grabbed it from me. Um, watching your kid freely drink rat poison would not be loving. Um, fire, boundaries are for our good, right? Fire belongs in the fireplace. It's a blessing to have limits. If it gets out in your house, while you're sleeping and it's midnight and the, you let the fire burning and it jumps out onto the rug and then up the drapes, you're toast, literally. 
That's not freedom. It's, it's, it's chaos and it's death. Um, no boundaries takes us back to the garden, doesn't it? But not in chapter 2. In chapter 3. You too shall be as gods. God knows if you cross this boundary, he's a fuddy-duddy. If you cross this boundary, that's where life is. And that's actually where death was. Um, we need boundaries. Casey, who uh, I'm going to have the blessing of ordaining him and his wife in a second, he told me that, that um, he read about an experiment or watched an experiment that was done with kids, and they were playing on a playground, but the first set didn't have a boundary, no fence. And so they all stayed right around. They, they could have gone anywhere, but because there was no boundary, they all stayed like right around the uh, play set, and they were very limited and very tentative. Um, but those that had a fence, same playground, they put a fence, a, long, a wide fence around the property, they went all the way, the kids ran all the way around to the very limits of the property because they had a boundary. And that was for their good. It's how we're created. We're created for dependence on God and on his word because he's good. And same with our kids and, and us, right? So um, but the fact is, I bring up all those examples, none of us is exempt. None, none of us is exempt from making a mess of things, from making a hash of our lives and inviting death and destruction in. Isaiah 53, 6, um, the prophet says this, 700 years before Jesus. He says, all we like sheep have gone astray. Did you hear that? All we. That leaves room for no one. No one is exempted. We have turned everyone, in case you missed it, he says, everyone to his own way. Not to God's way. We've turned to our own way. I'm the king. I'm the boss. Don't you tell me what to do. I never have to teach my kids the word no or mine. But you have to teach them yes and yours. And, you know, it's, I'm still not sure that, yeah, we have that word down, those words down in our family. But um, we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. 700 years later, that prophecy was fulfilled in Jesus. He became the fall guy. Our iniquity was laid on the son by the father. That was his plan, and he used our evil to do it. Um, Christ took the hit of God's just wrath against our sin for us. There's a, there's a Twitter, there's a tweet. Sorry, I still don't have this language down, this social media language. There's a Twitter. There's a tweet. Don't, don't get too excited. I'm, not, I'm almost done, but I'm not quite done. Um, but, but this AC is so powerful that I'm having to put my hand in my Bible. There's a tweet by a guy who's a pastor in Tennessee and an author that I really respect, Ray Ortland. And for some reason, I was prevented from getting into it today. I had the link, but it wouldn't let me in. So I couldn't get it. It's just as well that I couldn't get it up here because it's a really gruesome picture. It would, have been, it would have been very illustrative. But it's a picture of a little boy. He's five, I think. Blonde, beautiful child with uh, a big stitch from here under his nose. Actually, it might be through his eye, right under his eye, all the way down here. Here, It's a big U shape. And you could just imagine the whole thing. It was a dog that just got a hold of his face and, and dug in. And he's standing next to his beautiful little sister who's about two years younger. She's like three. And Ray Ortland said they must have been members of his church, non-commuting members of his church. And uh, Ray Ortland tweeted a photo of the boy standing next to his, and his face is all black and blue, purple, and his eyes all swollen. And he's got this huge gash that's been stitched up. And Ray Ortland says, well done, son. You stood between that dog and your little sister. Well done. You did the right thing. 
keep doing it. And I just thought, what a beautiful picture of the gospel. And I just wrote out to the side of that that Jesus did that for us times a zillion. The worst part about what Jesus endured was not was the stuff that we couldn't see, the stuff that really can't be described by the gospel writers, the, the fact that he endured the white-hot, eternal, infinite wrath of God in our place and, and, uh, in, and, and allowed us to hide in him the only safe place as the wrath of God consumed him. And in him we are free. Um, directly before the word, verse I just read, Isaiah writes, upon him, Jesus, was the punishment that brought us what? Peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. So what is that saying? We don't just have complete forgiveness and cleansing. Often we stop there. Often I stop there when I explain the gospel. We, don't, we do have complete forgiveness and cleansing, but not just. We're healed through his wounds. We have his righteousness. Our salvation depends not just on his punishment for us, but on everything that he did or didn't do from the heart, every act of obedience to the Father in his whole life. Our salvation depends Dependent on his every single act. If he's ever chosen to disobey God in his life, we would be headed for hell and without hope. So his righteousness is ours by faith. Do you know that? Do you, can you let that set you free? Bye-bye performance. Bye-bye, I'm going to lose my sonship or daughtership. You have it in him by faith. You have his righteousness by faith. You have been cleansed, totally cleansed. And that cleansing is working itself out throughout your life, a life of faith. A to, Z, A to Z, a life of faith, not A to C, not the beginning, and then I'm going to clean myself up and start behaving. No, it's all in Christ. It's all through Christ. It's all back to him. So we have his righteousness, and we have his cleansing, but we also have his power now to resist sin, and we have his spirit in us, the spirit of Christ himself, right? Um, and this, is, this is the gospel expressed so succinctly in verse 11 of chapter 15. Paul later expresses this glorious truth to Titus. In Titus 3.5, he says it this way. This is a sublime verse, friends. He says, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, hallelujah, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. And again, what this means is that everyone, again, especially in this context, everyone gets to play. It doesn't matter Jew, Gentile, black, white, brown, young, old, American, Chinese, Republican, Democrat, man, woman, child. Everyone gets to play. Christ came for all. So come to him. Come back to him. And finally, and most briefly, I think, and maybe most encouraging, not most encouragingly, I think the second point was very encouraging, at least to me. But the disagreements we see as the, as the chapter ends that there are disagreements in the early church um, between, who's, who's disagreeing in this, in this text? Yeah, Paul and Barnabas, right? Two giants, sinners like us, saved just like us by just the way anyone is saved, by the work of God in Christ, received by faith. Um, but these men were sinners like us, and Christ only uses imperfect people. That's the only type he uses. So welcome. He can use you. He will, if you let him. Um, so that's the really encouraging thing. And also we just see that personalities matter. Like God works through their sharp disagreement is what the, is what the ESV says. And um, they're going to take John Mark on their missionary journey. And Paul says, no way, Jose. He, he left for whatever reason. 
he left us and I can't count on him. And so I'm out of here. I'm picking someone else. And he picks Silas, who goes to do good work with Paul. He shows up in chapter 16 and beyond. And they're singing in prison. And the Philippian jailer comes to faith. And we'll, we'll talk about that soon. But um, Barnabas, he, I mean, Paul's a zealous man. Paul is sharp. Paul is a man of action. Paul is like the Martin Luther. And he is a bull. And um, he disagrees with Barnabas, and so he doesn't, he doesn't want to take John Mark, but Barnabas takes him. Barnabas is a son of encouragement. He's a gentler person. And he takes Barnabas, and we know that, Barnab- that he did well under Barnabas' tutelage, John Mark, because he goes on to write the Gospel of Mark, uh, and largely through his time with Peter, probably. And so he spent lots of time with Peter. He wrote the Gospel of Mark, which is a wonderful gospel. It's one of our four. F.F. F. Bruce said, again, he did well under Barnabas' tutelage, and he went on to rejoin Paul. Um, so God, what I want to say there is God uses all sorts, okay? Be yourself. Don't try to be someone else. Oscar Wilde, I think I've quoted him before, but um, he said, be yourself. Everyone else is already taken. So again, Luther, one of the reasons God used him, he was a godly man, but he was a firebrand. He was a battering ram. He was not sensitive. He hurt a lot of feelings, but God used him to break down doors and to ring some bells and to light some stuff up. But he also did some gnarly things and said some gnarly things. Um, Justin, he said, God told him recently, stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. And he's like, for me, that's kind of like listening prayer. So only do what only you can do. Um, And we're trying to get there more as a church to discover what our gifts are. And not to, I'm not saying, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying to try, you know, range out to another, don't range out to another gift. I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying God gives, he's not going to give you all the gifts. Discover your gift and use it. He's made you, you fearfully and wonderfully to despise that, to despise his handiwork and his, and his craftsmanship. Like we need you. We need you in your gifting. Um, okay, so we're working toward that as a church more and more. And as the chapter finishes in verse 1, we see that even through that disagreement, what happens? The kingdom continues to go forth and the work is actually doubled. God uses in his providence their disagreement to double their work by sending Barnabas and uh, John Mark, I think, to Cyprus, and then Paul and Silas go somewhere else, okay, up to Philippi, I guess. And so he uses us. It's encouraging. We're, we're broken people, but being made whole in Christ. We're in the middle of COVID. All this stuff's happening. It's okay. He's still God. His church is going to continue to grow. His kingdom's going to continue to go forward until he returns, okay? Be encouraged by that. As I close, just going back to what I started with, um, Seth's fellow soldier, Seth Stone, the guy who, the anniversary of whose death was yesterday, um, his fellow soldier jumping on the grenade for us. He, uh, Jesus gave his life that we might live, not however we want to, that's not freedom, but as sons and daughters of the Most High God, okay, bought through his life and through his death.